A few weeks ago, we held the Talking Health Tech Autumn Summit. This was our fifth virtual summit so far. And what a great day of learnings and insights that were shared by fellow THT Plus members and guest speakers across 12 different panel sessions covering a wide variety of topics relating to health tech. We hold one of these virtual summits every quarter, so one for each season, and they're free for our THT Plus members to attend. Now, these sessions are obviously made possible by the support of our members, but also, importantly, our gold sponsors. Because each summit, we have three gold sponsors, and one of our gold sponsors for the Autumn Summit just passed was Informetics, an organisation that's got a breadth of experience in transforming digital health and passionate about supporting this ecosystem. So the session at the Autumn Summit that Informatics championed was about delivering on the promise of data-driven care. So a really interesting discussion, which I had the privilege of moderating, and it featured people who know this world of healthcare delivery and the potential of data firsthand. So in a minute, you'll hear a proper intro of all the speakers and a bit more of a scene setter from me before we jump into the conversation. Now, if you wanted to go and watch this session, jump onto the Talking Health Tech website, I mentioned that our THT Plus members get to view all of the summit recordings as part of their membership, but if you're not a member yet, you should totally become one. But you can also view the recordings that featured our gold sponsors without even creating a profile. So jump on to talkinghealthtech.com slash videos, and you can watch for free sessions four, five, and six. But stay right there, or keep doing whatever it is you do while you listen to podcasts, because right now you'll hear the audio from session four of the Talking Health Tech Autumn Summit, sponsored by Informatics, titled Data-Driven Care, The Digital Promise. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. The digital promise for the future needs to be better care, putting data in the hands of clinicians to enable them to improve outcomes, building a learning health system focused on continual improvement. How do we realise this promise? What do we need to get there? This is session four of the Talking Health Tech Autumn Summit titled Data-Driven Care, The Digital Promise. I'll be moderating this panel session featuring John Sutherland, Chief Information Officer at Hammond Care. He's an advisor to the ADHA, and in 2020, he received the accolade of Australian CIO of the Year. Paul Gladwell, Public Hospitals Digital and Technology Manager at St Vincent's Health Australia. He's the central liaison point into IT to make sure services provided meet the operational, strategic and project-related needs of the Public Hospital Division. And Sue Hansen, Chief Clinical Information Officer at Informatics, with a career dedicated to being a passionate advocate for clinical quality and safety of patients. Before this session, we did a quick survey and asked what's most likely to improve in healthcare if clinicians had better access to patient data. Well, it was pretty clear what people think. 88% of respondents think that it would result in better patient outcomes. 9% of people think it will reduce costs. Let's chat with the panel to learn more. So the session that we're running through today, as we saw, is about data-driven care. And it was great that we had the opportunity to survey our followers about this space. But Sue, we were chatting before this session, and I wanted to open up with you. Quite often you find that a conversation about data in healthcare comes through a lens of, I don't know, commercialization. 
but you're a strong advocate for the role of data in improving health outcomes, patient outcomes. So tell me a bit more about how you think about the role of data. In- okay. So firstly, thanks for um, invitation to be on the panel and to the esteemed sort of panel members and to all participants. So I guess this comes down to a conversation about being data rich versus being driven for data and how begin to use data more effectively to drive improvement. One of the things to say is really that we do have lots of data. Um, so we are kind of data rich. Annually, a hospital will produce about 80 petabytes of data a year. I don't even know how much that is, but I do know it's a lot. That is increasing by about 36% every year. So we're getting a lot more every year. Um, but a report from Forbes in 2021 said only about 90% of that data goes unused. So health information technology has currently, it promises both optimised processes, um, but it also has involved in unintended consequences. And kind of, I think that the intersection between safety and quality, patient outcomes, and how we're using clinical data is becoming increasingly important. I think chasing more data or manufacturing analysis of data is probably not the main game for us at the moment. The main game would seem to be using data embedded in practice, um, using it in ways that lead to improvements of care. And I guess I just finished by saying that since the Institute of Medicine's report on patient safety was published in 1999, there has been no real wide-scale improvement in patient safety despite a great deal of work, effort and an enormous leap forward in data production. And so then I guess there's been additional areas. So I'm particularly interested in how we might reconceptualise how we use data in the context of a learning health system. Absolutely. And from John's perspective, I'd love to hear for you, like what this concept of being data-driven in healthcare is. And I like the point that Sue raised as well, that it's not necessarily a question. The challenges aren't, oh, I wish we had more data to do something. It's almost Mm. like, well, how do we do something? But I want to hear from your side what this means for you in your day-to-day in the world. I think Sue touched on a key concept there, and that is how do we operationalize the use of data? And, you know, in my experience, where we kind of get the best uptake and use of the information that we have, and there is an awful lot, as Sue's outlined, is is when the information is incorporated into the established practices of the clinicians. So that's a key there. But I guess that survey result that you shared with us, Peter, was no surprise. It's all about improved health outcomes. And I think we'd all agree that to get to that point, it requires better integrated healthcare. And to facilitate and kind of grease the squeaky wheel, that means better information sharing. And also I was kind of reflecting on this, perhaps a little a little levity into the conversation. I thought about the kind of the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. And I think we probably all go through those various emotions when we think about, you know, the great opportunity with better information sharing, kind of some of the frustrations. But that's kind of the kind of the glass half empty book. We have made some great progress in Australia over recent years. There's a lot more information sharing than there has been in the past, you know, be it at a state level with the state health systems or even a little plug for the My Health record that has certainly seen a lot of good adoption by the providers and particularly driven through COVID, right, with the integration. Another example of data integration and sharing between the Australian Immunisation Registry and My Health record. So just one example and many other examples. Absolutely. And so, Paul, from your side, as we know, there's a lot of healthcare information. In the work that you do, tell us about how you might want to be using data in your healthcare setting and what it means to you. 
Yeah, sure. Thanks. And thanks for the opportunity to join Pete. And, and great to be sitting here with Sue and John as well. So I think I have a, a, I think a reasonably unique position in public health in that I'm the least clinical person in a hospital. I'm probably the least technological person in, in the IT department. But effectively, I'm that conduit between the technical and the clinical and the human face of the visible and the invisible tech. And what we want to do at the end of the day is ensuring that, that IT is the enabler for the data and the technology to support and improve that delivery and quality of care. What I typically see is that there's a, a myriad of disparate and individually implemented with the best intent on delivering promise of improved outcomes, systems that will reduce risk and improve the user experience and improve patient outcomes. The thought on where and how that data is going to be collected is actually going to form part of a broader, more holistic health system is unfortunately not always considered up front. And you typically would see in, in a public hospital five to 10 years later, three, four, 500 different systems, varying degrees of maturity and complexity, multiply disconnected data stores, and then customized in integration engines bursting at the seams, trying to form and create a relationship to provide a semblance, some semblance of a patient journey or a model of care. And I think that's the biggest challenge is, you know, it's a bit very data rich, but we end up with a lot of specialised, individually implemented, very useful at that point of care systems, but data that we really struggle to pull together to actually see what that looks like from a whole of a patient journey perspective. It's funny, isn't it, that often to be able to do something quite bespoke or quite focused in an area of healthcare, it's like a particular tool needs to be built, but it's in an environment that's so hard for it to connect with, a, or seemingly so hard for it to connect with the broader ecosystem to do anything meaningful with what it actually has, like the output of it. John touched on COVID before, Sue, and I wanted to dig into that a little bit more with you. That obviously put the pressure on everyone in the world everywhere, but you know, the, particularly in healthcare as well. What do you think we can learn from that whole experience when we think about patient data? I think we had um, COVID certainly put a lot of pressure on everybody. And one of my current roles is I teach postgraduate students as managers and public health students at the University of Technology, and listening to their day-to-day -day experiences of how challenging this was, how rapid the need to introduce new models of care were uh, and how they struggled to understand how they could organise data information about patients to follow those patients as they moved through the system in different ways everyone had been used to. I think that tactical response was really important, that rapid deployment of technology enabled solutions, telehealth, uh, information sharing, secure messaging, a whole raft of technology-enabled solutions that clinicians in the way they do within a complex adaptive system started to organise their work to deal with that challenge was necessary, effective and um, warranted. I think that the COVID led to a huge acceleration of the work to embed technology into uh, existing models of care, not only to embed the technology in existing models, but to understand how those models need to change in response to a technology enabler, the presence of a technology enabler. But coming back to this point about optimised processes and unintended consequences, I think what we did because of that need for a tactical, a rapid response to a very rapidly changing scenario within health systems is we paid little attention to the appropriate governance guardrails that need to be in place as we shift from one model of care to another model of care. We paid insufficient attention to the impacts on clinical outcomes. So 
Do we know, for example, uh, whether those re-engineered models of care work effectively for all patients, some patients, or how might we understand who benefits from them and who would benefit from, you know, staying perhaps with the existing more traditional models of care? And it's, I think it's important to understand that we have to start to be more careful about the kinds of data that we're collecting out of that routine business of care that helps us understand some of those unintended consequences. What's the rate of misdiagnosis, for example, as we shift towards more virtual models of care? What are the issues in how, how can we begin to understand and feed back to clinicians at the front line information about delayed treatment and and I think we have now the time to start to round back on these requirements to kind of manage data so that it helps us, not us as people in the background of their direct clinical services, but how it helps those people in the front line of clinical services understand what the impacts are of their changes to their models of care how that plays out. Mm. So I think it's been a huge learning opportunity. I think the speed at which it occurred, you know, we shouldn't think tick, done, great, we've moved ahead. I think we need to understand that was tactical. We do need to go back just yeah, the shift from tactical to strategic is a really interesting thing, which I'm sure the other John and Paul will will attest to as well. John, from your side, thinking about what we were talking about before with the interoperability of systems, and then you know this very valid point that Sue's raised around governance and controls to be able to do that. And we're going to be digging into the whole topic of governance and innovation and that whole place. But do you think these two things come together, like in order for there to be a more interoperable system, there's got to be the good structure and governance? But what do you see, like from the work you do that might get us to that bit closer in terms of interoperability? Yeah, it's a key issue for our sector. Let me start by answering, you know, we know that cost of healthcare is hyperinflationary. That is to say that the cost of healthcare is increasing at a rate greater than, than CPI. And we have to be honest with ourselves and say that part of the reason, not the whole reason, but part of the reason is the cost of technology. You know, cost is driving cost into the system. And that's required in some areas, but there are some fantastic opportunities where you can become more digital and more integrated without having the huge cost and the which are often unsustainable or just not, you know, the hurdle is so great for a lot of the providers. So that's where organisations like Infomedics come into it. Different business model, ease of entry, where you can move from the analogue world to the digital world. So there's a lot of opportunities there and, and we really support for choice. So we don't always have to go with kind of the big players is, is the first point. And I think the three things that really need to kind of come together in Confluence, Pete, are the role of government, the role of providers and the role of consumers. So from a government perspective, if you look at all of the, the markets around the world where there's been a big advancement in terms of better information sharing and integrated healthcare, it's come through government policy, the carrots and sticks. So the Australian government really, I think, has a lot more or a greater role that it can be playing in helping to facilitate that. So that's the first point. On the provider side, providers have to also be willing to share and uh, some providers do that terrifically. And you really have to have this utilitarian mindset that it is better to share because better sharing leads to better health outcomes, their patients. And the third thing I think is the voice of the consumer. I'm not sure what the others on the panel feel and Pete, through your discussion and engagement with the industry, but I think that the voice of the consumer really is not there and it needs to be a much more powerful voice. So I think we as healthcare consumers, whether it's Visiting our GP should be saying, hey, to our general practitioner, are you uploading my shared health summary to my health record? And uh, whether it's an aged care provider where I am today or in the hospital business, uh, we've all got a role to play 
as consumers and beneficiaries of the healthcare system to be prodding and encouraging those that we deal with in the healthcare system to be more open to sharing information about us. Absolutely. You know, all the different stakeholder needs and requirements and how important the role of a patient is in driving that change is really critical. And Bernie raised a good point in the chat there around the reason we need all of this isn't just in one particular care setting or whether it's in aged care or just in primary care, but it's across the care continuum, across different settings so that we can really deliver on some of these promises. Back to the point around stakeholders for a second, Paul, given that you're in this really unique situation, well, not stupid, but like a really interesting kind of challenge on a day-to-day with both the vendor needs and the clinician needs. If you had to summarize on either side, some of it's already come out in the conversation, but in terms of what clinicians need and what vendors need, how do you kind of summarize it? Yeah, thanks, Pete. And look, I think a really good point from Sue around that tactical versus strategic approach. Yeah, a vendor is very quick to come in and address a tactical need because it's got a very specific and finite outcome that they're looking to address from an interoperability and the benefits of the patient. You know, one of the great things of COVID has been things like care monitor and products like that, that the patient at the center of the care with the different parties contributing to that record. But I think one of the biggest things from a value add perspective, someone like myself in this role can add is being that part of the clinician vendor IT department triad. And and I think vendors have got a greater appreciation today that the sales cycle in health can be really long and frequently disappointing. But I strongly believe that it actually benefits both the health service and the vendor to be transparent and frank from the beginning of those relationships. When you're discussing your possibilities, when you're discussing your current state, your challenges, your aspirations, because it's really easy to get into bed and marry a vendor, but it's really hard to hop out and divorce at the end of the day. And, and ideally, what we should all be working for, whether we're a technology a clinician, a vendor, a partner, an interoperability agent, is at the end of the day, we want to bring that data together to ultimately benefit the patient at the end of the day, because there should be the centre of everything we do. And if we can help marry those different parties and the different forces, then you can see it at a, a bigger and a more holistic perspective. And ideally, that's what drives drives me, it's what drives a lot of people in my team is at the end of the day, who do we serve? And it's the clinicians and the patients to get those better outcomes. Absolutely. John, it's awesome nodding there. That resonates with you. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's good to hear Paul say that, but we constantly need to remind ourselves, right? The industry needs to recommit every day to putting the patient at the centre and, and putting the patient first. And sometimes that means being uncomfortable about some of the decision-making and choices we need to make, but we do need to do that. And um I think technology really is not really the big issue that it was five or 10 years ago. And even today, as a result of COVID and changes in the MBS system, from your bed, you can have a consultation, you can have a diagnosis, you can have your pharmaceuticals delivered to your home without leaving a bedroom. And that only happens through the interoperability. So there's a lot there. But of course, opening that up required from the government side, you know, listening the kind of definitions around remote care and uh, remote consultations. So current government, we need you to keep being more progressively minded. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, look, we're starting to round out this session. I can see some great comments in the chat there. I might just have to refresh it because there's been quite a few come in. So keep those comments coming through. You know, we, we saw mentions around people agreeing with the need for legislation and I guess that governance to support all of it and the need for partners and vendors to become partners in that process. 
And I think this will follow on to some of the other conversations that we'll have later in the day as well. But Sue, start to take us out in this conversation. I'll also go to John and Paul for any final thoughts as well. You know, given all of this and what we've heard with this opportunity for vendors and health systems to really deliver on this promise, any final thoughts from your side? Um, probably just a couple. I guess the question was like, what do we need to do to kind of make this promise a reality, you know, that better outcomes for patients? And I think there are, for vendors and for healthcare providers and clinicians, there are probably just three points I'd make. We need to understand the difference between workers done versus workers imagined. It's really important when we're designing solutions, digital interventions, that we understand how to turn practice into data, how to make data meaningful, how to make it trustworthy, how to make it those things. We need to understand the, the issues of language and context. That means we need to shift from technical interoperability towards more understandings of, of semantic interoperability, how language is used in its digital format to share information across teams. And lastly, we need to understand the concepts of social networks. If we're going to put patients into the middle, the idea that around patients, healthcare workers organise themselves into social networks and how ideas and behaviours spread between those social networks also becomes really important rather than institutionally based understandings of how data is constructed, managed and shared. Um, putting patients in the middle forces us to think outside of those institutional um, boundaries. So three steps, probably a lot of work there, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we work towards, I guess. It's good to have those the guardrails there. Probably 30 seconds each for John and Paul for any final thoughts. John? Just to say thank you for pulling all this together, Pete, because this is an interoperability of ideas, okay, this forum. You know, we need to have that because then that can lead to kind of other levels of interoperability. So thank you for the invitation and great to see this great series of talks coming together. And Paul, anything else? Likewise, thanks, Pete, for putting this together. It just goes to show you can get you know, really good people together in a small space virtually and still come up with some really good feedback and outcomes. I think the only final comment would be, one good thing came out of COVID, it would show that you can do good things from a patient care perspective with data, driving that care with remote monitoring and remote care. If we can use that as a stepping stone or a, or a platform to keep moving forward and embracing it, then all the better. Love it. I'm going to steal this idea of interoperability of ideas. By the way, as well, you know, Sue mentioned and everyone's mentioned different points around interoperability. I saw a comment about value-based care and fee-for-service. All of these terms are in the health tech glossary. If you go to talkinghealthtech.com slash glossary, we've got a definition for interoperability and the different types with semantic and technical. So check that out in your own time. But look, John, Sue and Paul, I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast player and for more information, visit talkinghealthtech.com.